Hey, it's me, Curiosity reporter Adriana Cardona Magigab. It's only mid-November, but Chicagoans have already seen snow, and it left hundreds of newly arrived migrants struggling to cope with the cold. There are thousands of asylum seekers sleeping on sidewalks all over the city as temperatures plunge toward freezing. Many new arrivals are without heavy coats, gloves, boots, and indoor shelter. Volunteers are bringing winter clothing to the migrants, many of whom are still dressed for summer. With even colder temperatures just around the corner, a network of service providers, city workers, churches, and volunteers are trying to get migrants off the streets and into shelters as soon as possible. City officials plan to build a tent encampment in Brighton Park on the southwest side, but while they haven't even started building it, the number of asylum seekers keeps going up. Now, there are more than 21,000 migrants here from Venezuela and other South American countries. Nearly 1,500 are staying in police stations, another 400 or so are at O'Hare Airport, and a little more than 12,000 are in shelters across the city. The city system is overwhelmed, and waitlists for rent assistance are long. But on a much smaller scale, some migrants are finding relief through other housing alternatives. Some Chicago and suburban residents are stepping up and offering a temporary home to the newcomers. And some Curious City listeners wanted to know, what is it like to share a home with a newly arrived person or family? So we went out and met with several people who've invited migrants to live with them. We were learning things from them and they were learning things from us. Even other immigrants who've been here for a long time were moved after seeing so many people, including children, on the streets. They want to help too. Coming up, we'll take a look at the unofficial process of becoming a host family and what the day-to-day -day experience is like. And as asylum seekers continue to arrive by the busloads, we look at how advocates and the migrants themselves are getting creative ahead of winter. That's next. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I discovered authors I had never heard of and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts. Kevin Orozco and his family were bused from Texas to Chicago last winter. Kevin, his wife Michelle, and their two small children made the treacherous journey from Venezuela, crossing several countries, and even the Darien Gap, a dense and dangerous jungle. They didn't have any friends or family to stay with in the city. So when they arrived, they were sent to a police station to wait for a spot to open up at a shelter, in the meantime, they were put on a wait list to receive rent assistance from a state-funded program, which could take seven months or more, depending on the case. The family was at the shelter for several days when Kevin started to feel restless. Kevin says they wanted to leave the shelter and find some kind of stability, 
They were extremely uncomfortable with absolutely no privacy. Some migrants like Kevin are finding a place to live through different, more informal ways. So when Kevin heard that a woman in the area was offering them a place to stay for a few weeks, he and his wife said yes right away. No me salí pensando que iba a perder beneficio porque no, 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 nosotros no estamos... We didn't leave the shelter thinking that we were going to lose benefits, Kevin says. We weren't thinking about that. The family took a leap of faith by moving in with a stranger. They didn't know what to expect. They were hesitant and nervous. And they weren't the only ones feeling that way. And I was like, this could be a terrible mistake. I'm like, I don't know, like, what, what, I, what did I just agree to? So I was nervous. Kristen Kutzner-Husar is an ESL and bilingual resource teacher in suburban Evanston and a single mother with two children. Inviting a family of four to live with her was completely out of her means. She walks dogs on the weekends and tutors children to make some extra cash to pay the bills. But a member of a church that Kristen volunteered with told her about Kevin and his family. And she said, I think the mom is stressed to the point of breaking down. Her journey was very, very traumatic because of some horrible things that happened to her and the kids. After hearing their story, she didn't hesitate. I'll take them. You know, I'll just, it just came out of my mouth. I don't really know where it came from. Kristen asked for help on social media. She got lots of donations and clothes for the family. She even asked a neighbor for pillows because she didn't have any extra. Kevin's whole family stayed in one spare bedroom. There was a bed and then a mattress on the floor, and that was just about all the floor space there was in that uh, in that room upstairs. All they did for the first couple of days was just sleep. They slept and slept and slept and slept. They were also very timid at first. Kevin says the whole experience was completely new. Kevin says, yeah, it's kind of awkward. I was so embarrassed. We didn't know Miss Kristen, and that was very hard. Michelle, Kevin's wife, opened up a lot sooner. She came out to cook and do laundry. You know, she was happy to be in the kitchen, like cooking and making things all the time. So, you know, it was easy to interact with her because this is really our only living space. We have this little living room over here. And little by little, they began to know each other. They'll go grocery shopping together. And that was so fun. And I had the one of the, the littlest boy in the cart and, and he was kind of looking at things. I'm like, do you want that? And his mom was like, no, no. And I was like, Come on, <laughs> let's, get, let's get some fun cereal. Let's get, you know, some fruit. Initially, Kristen expected to house Kevin and his family for a few weeks, but... The more and more we got to know the family, the more I thought, we can do another week. We could do another week. We could do another week. We could do another... And then it just kind of ended up just kind of working. They lived together for about nine months. They celebrated birthdays, went sledding in the winter, and decorated eggs during Easter. 
Sí, sí, tus correos. Tanto. Matando correos. Hubo un pienso que es muy importante, pero sí. no es para, para ti, es un nombre de una persona, no, no, no conozco. Kristen's Spanish is pretty good, but sometimes she had a hard time understanding them. Kevin, his wife, and sons don't speak English. Both families rely heavily on Google Translate. For me, it was a learning curve with the Venezuelan accent. I learned my Spanish in Mexico, and it's much different, I think. And even when I traveled through Colombia, I had trouble sometimes. Like, are they speaking the same language? I don't know. But now I'm, I'm used to it now. So I'm... Food was another cultural lesson to learn. She says Venezuelans don't like spicy food. Do not give them spicy food. They they will look at you like this is we're not Mexican, okay? I asked Kevin if he's tried Kristen's cooking. They both laugh. Kristen says she doesn't cook no, much. Pizza. No. Pizza, sí, mucha pizza. <laughs> mucha pizza, pizza, McDonald's, todo. Sí. No, pero sí. <laughs> One time Kristen made beans with chicken. He thought it tasted pretty good. Una vez la señora Kristen hizo como una frijolada. Yo no sé cómo le llama ella que fue frijol y le echó... Creo que tenía pollo, no sé cómo, que le dio Michelle y yo... Kristen says she got a lot in return from hosting Kevin and his family. Kevin knows about construction, and he would often fix things around Kristen's house. And he would ask me, you know, how can I get this tool? Do you have this? Do you have that? And then I would come home from work, and it would be fixed. Um, and as you can see, this house is definitely a fixer-upper. Kevin's kids, who are seven and nine years old, help Kristen's youngest son with his Spanish. But not everything was easy. Kristen's house is very small. They shared a small kitchen, only one bathroom. Nowhere to run, nowhere to hide, unless you're in your bedroom. And even though the family pitched in as soon as they got jobs, Kristen says it got expensive. The electricity and water and gas, because we're always cooking now, uh, they went way up. So I'm still kind of trying to dig myself out from under there. Um, I still have, I think my electricity bill is, what is it right now? $510. Right now I owe $400 for water. Still, she says if she was able to pull it off under her financial circumstances, there are a lot more people who can do this, especially in Evanston, where there is a lot more wealth. Kristen led a fundraiser and collected enough money to help Kevin's family pay for eight months of rent. Plus, Kevin picks up construction jobs. And now, they live in their own apartment down the block. He and his wife are even expecting their third child. The two families visit each other all the time. And it's an example of an unofficial arrangement that worked really well. But the problem is, it's still unofficial. There is not a lot of support if something goes wrong. Several Chicago nonprofits and even churches are getting involved in connecting asylum seekers with host families. And they're also thinking creatively about other ways to house migrants. More on that after the break.
Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience. I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts. We just heard how hosting a family could be a good experience, but others have run into uncomfortable situations that made the temporary living arrangement difficult. Chicago resident Ignacio Becerril came from Mexico back in 1991 when he was about 16. He says he was undocumented when he arrived. He knows what it is like not to have a place to stay. So he wanted to help migrants in some way. He and his wife, Patricia Buenrostro, started by giving migrants a ride to nearby churches where they could shower. Era para llevarlos a bañarse. Les dijeron que les iban a dar oportunidad de entrar de tres a seis. Patricia is a teacher and Ignacio is a writero. He gives rights to people who work in the suburbs. Eventually, they invited five asylum seekers into their Garfield Park home on Chicago's southwest side. Two couples and a young 19-year-old man, all from Venezuela. They thought they could help by letting them stay in their Finnish basement for a while. And since her husband gives rides to workers from nearby factories, maybe he could find them work. The five asylum seekers ended up staying with Patty and Ignacio for about five months. And Ignacio did help them find jobs. They all pitched in for expenses, and they went to the grocery store every Friday. In the summer, Patty and Ignacio took everyone downtown, to the beach and to the zoo. The migrants saved up enough money and moved out of their home last September. Patty says more people should open their homes to migrants in need. Ignacio, on the other hand, says he's happy to know that he was able to help, but... It's not something he recommends. There were tensions between the two families. They didn't always get along, and that changed the dynamics of the relationship. Ignacio offered one of his apartments for rent to three of the migrants he housed. But later he found out they invited their newly arrived family members to move in. He didn't like that because, as a landlord, it could have landed him in legal trouble. He fears miscommunications or misunderstandings can get in the way and ruin the experience, especially when the host's families aren't trained to handle difficult situations. Patty, on the other hand, says she will do it again if there was an official program through a government agency. 
yo estoy patrocinando a esta familia, pero el gobierno me está respaldando, el gobierno es formalizado, estamos uh, firmando un contrato, un acuerdo, ¿verdad? más que nada un acuerdo, y, y pues si algo pasa, yo sé que el gobierno me está respaldando a mí. Paricets is a lot safer for a person or family to sponsor asylum seekers if the government formalizes a program. If there is a contract in which I know the government is backing me up. Some experts say the host family model has worked, but expectations need to be clear from the get-go. It's really important to think about your house rules. What are the rules, actually, for both their private space and your shared space? Both at the beginning, but then maybe after a week, maybe after a few more weeks. Holly Tseng is with World Relief. The organization has helped find housing for asylum seekers and other immigrants for years. And most recently, they have relaunched an official host family program for refugees. So if you can have the expectation that both parties can raise a discussion like that and plan to just ask, how is it going? Is there anything you want to revisit? World Relief's housing programs include training and background checks. But right now, Holly says the big challenge is finding affordable housing. Because the housing market has continued to become more and more expensive, that, for example, some of the some of the massive apartment complex around here that we have worked with for a long time, they just don't have the vacancies that they used to have. Given the housing crisis, other groups are trying to find any spaces available and not necessarily the traditional apartment landlord setup. On a recent Saturday morning, a group of migrants and a few volunteers are soaring through furniture on the first floor of a huge multi-purpose building in Uptown on the north side. The building is a cultural center where some floors have been designated as shared living spaces in the past. We were thinking... How could we use this space? Should we redesign it and turn it into offices? Margaret Gergen is on the board of the nonprofit that owns the building and is involved with affordable housing initiatives. Her organization partnered with a group on the north side that's been helping migrants find housing and other basic necessities since they started arriving in 2022. The building had a ton of vacant space. And then we thought perhaps it could be an answer to the migrant situation because people are wanting to get out of shelters, but they may not be ready to just take on living independently in their own apartments. Under this new initiative, about 12 migrant families who've been waiting in city shelters are being placed in spaces that look like tiny studios. The rent ranges between $400 to $800 per month, depending on the size of the family. Some families are getting help through the state's rent assistance program and others through independent donations. The hope is that migrant families will become financially independent and move out within a year. Margaret says under this shared living model, the newcomers build a community and learn to navigate life in their new city. They'll be getting financial literacy and English classes, homework help for children, and education on how to navigate tenant agreements. This gives them the chance to have a community of support 
enforce and reinforce one another and reach a point where they're ready to launch out on their own. Julieta, podemos ver tu cuarto, tu sala? Está de, está demolida, yo sé. Pero es. Yo le doy un toquecito. Dale un toquecito. The day I'm there, some of the soon-to-be residents show me around, while others help bring up chairs and couches to one of the top floors. Some are cleaning, rearranging their furniture, putting up lamps, making the space their own. Bueno, mi cuarto. Aquí va el televisor. Están la literal de los niños donde pueden dormir. Aquí. They show me the areas where their children will sleep, the small, tiny living rooms they are arranging in their own spaces. Aquí va el mueble. I can hear their excitement. Sí, demasiado porque es algo, es un hogar que le puedo dar a mis hijos. There are two very large kitchens with dining areas attached, share bathrooms for both men and women, and lots of space for children to play. This housing alternative has been a relief for Cherry. She was at a shelter, but recently her rent assistance was approved. And now she's living in this new space with her four-year-old son, Dominic. Sherry is grateful she had a place to stay at one of the city's shelters, but she says living with so many people in one open space is hard. It's loud, and children have a difficult time getting to sleep. Her son Dominic agrees. He says he had to cover his head with a pillow to go to sleep and be ready for school the next day. This multi-purpose building is an example of what's possible. But Margaret doesn't want to identify the organization or the location of this place out of fear of opposition from uptown residents. There's been a lot of pushback in other neighborhoods. Many residents have been vocal about their concerns that migrants will bring more loitering and crime to areas that already struggle for resources. Some migrants worry that the actions of a few are causing these negative perceptions. Margaret and other housing advocates in the city say the type of chaos that some residents are afraid of can be avoided. I think we need to move away from thinking about barracks-type housing and think about housing that is more family and individual-oriented. That could be a new dormitories, a new schools, places where families can close a door and have some privacy, even if they are sharing bathrooms and kitchens, she says. Shelters or tent camps put a roof over people's heads. She and other experts say that's better than being on the streets, but it's not a long-term solution. I think it certainly contributes to a stressful situation because it just feels so transient. It feels like you have no investiture in where you are and where you're living. City officials say they've been trying to look for other alternatives, like asking landlords and people with large properties to step up and be part of the solution. But with winter around the corner, 
hundreds of families on the streets and more buses on the way, those helping on the ground say there must be the will to do more. Curious City is supported by the Conant Family Foundation and is produced by Jason Mark and Jody So. Maggie Sivet is the digital and engagement producer. Susie Ahn is our editor. Curious City is a production of WBC Chicago and is part of the NPR Network. I'm Adriana Cardona Magiga. Thanks for listening. Before we start the show, we here at Curious City want to let you in on a little-known fact about WBEZ. 89% of all our funding comes from community support, including contributions from curious listeners like you. If this program has changed how you see Chicago, please consider supporting this program at wbez.org curious. Thank you.